And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Lots of things to unpack. Let me turn my microphone down a little bit because I'm blasting out my LEDs here. My winky blinkies are going into the red. We don't need that to happen. Not on a Monday because we're still recovering from the weekend. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Lots to unpack today. Let me get the microphone out of my face so you can see my face. Although it's a face for radio. That's how I got my start in radio 33 years ago. So I know a little bit about something about something. How's everybody doing? The chat's open if you are here with us live. Comments are active if you are uh, over on Facebook. We're also broadcasting to Odyssey. And it looks like the signal is relatively stable. Hello, Cam. Hello, Mazerus. Welcome. Good to see you both here. And lots, lots of stuff going on over the weekend. I tell you, it's um, besides just every little thing. We're gonna get, we're gonna get into a number of different things. We got the Supergirl costume that that we've seen first pictures of. Uh, Heidi McDonald did a hit piece on Bill Willingham. We're gonna get into that. And who knows what else? Maybe a little bit more about the collapse of the American comics industry. If you are listening to us on a podcast player, there are several uh, where our shows are available. I'm seeing people listening to us in Germany, France, Ireland, UK, Russia, Australia. You know, it's the usual suspects. Good to see that uh, you're all still with us. So let's start. I want to do this one thing just as a as an aside. This is not related to anything that we're talking about today, but it kind of maybe sort of is. I'm not sure. Jeffrey Combs, who plays way... I've been saying hello to you all morning, Mrs. Boss. <clears throat> I, I, I get it. I get it. I know. I see how you are. Okay. Uh, so, hi, uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs, who played Wayun, he's played uh, 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 Captain Tran in Enterprise. He's done a number of different roles in the Star Trek franchise. Uh, also played uh, the Reanimator, and he's done a number of things. He's very, very popular in in genre, and. Um, a lot of people are campaigning for him to play Dr. Boyce in Strange New Worlds because he bears a passing resemblance to John Hoyt, uh, especially as he gets older. And Combs is open to it. But he posted on his uh, social media uh, this morning, early this morning, it's really not okay for fans to assume they can try to communicate with my family. And it's not. Now, I get it. Jeffrey Combs is a public figure. And, you know, he's an actor. and People want to say hi and whatever. But there comes, there comes a point, and I think this speaks to something that we've talked about before here and, and on H2O and a number of different places. The, 
breakdown of propriety, the breakdown of respect and consideration that comes with being online so much to the point where etiquette and protocol have pretty much taken a backseat to attention and uh, self-gratification, um, what's the other word, validate, personal validation or anything like that. We don't, we don't do delayed gratification anymore. And we take so much of our dopamine hit off of what absolutely complete strangers think about what, what, what a hot take we're going to share about things. And it bleeds over into the real world where, you know, we have all of this access to people online and some, and I would say that these people, again, this goes back to that whole emotionally immature, emotionally constipated people who think that they deserve or they're entitled to, and they don't think about barriers. They don't think about self-restraint. And I think we're seeing in a case of this uh, with Jeffrey Combs and his family. This, and this is not an isolated incident, by the way. And, and this goes back probably even before the Internet where people are, you know, finding actors on the street and taking them to task for that very bad, mean thing that their character did. I mean, there's always been that disconnect some people have. But it feels like it's gotten a little bit worse. So if if any of you are inclined to try to get in contact with your favorite actor's family or your favorite author's family, don't. Because it's just not appropriate. It, it, it just isn't. All right. Um, Mazur says, Jeffrey Combs is like a virus in Star Trek. I don't know that I would characterize it quite like that, uh, but he does seem to spread himself around a little bit. I mean, he had two two characters that he played. I mean, he played way all of the different Wayun clones as well as the Ferengi Brunt in Deep Space Nine. He was Captain Shran and, and Enterprise, like I said. I, I don't recall if he... I think he did play a Ferengi on Next Generation, but it wasn't Brunt. I think he played a different a different one. So he's great. He's a, he's a wonderful, talented actor. Um, I actually am curious to see what what it would look like if he played Doctor Boyce in Strange New Worlds. I don't think we're going to get that, sadly. But you know, oh, that's right, Cam. He did play the question in in the animated Justice League. Brilliant performance. <laughs> that was that's the question that I want to see on TV. Or movies, or wherever he's going to show up. Um, <clears throat> and yes, I want is the only thing people know today. And we've talked about this, this this entitlement mentality that comes with being wired in. You get this immediate. I can just I can I can check Wikipedia. I can look at YouTube. I can do whatever, and I can get it right there. It's all at my fingertips. And there's no there's no sense of earning anything that you get. And so people start to think, well, I'm entitled to it because just because. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a sad state of affairs that we're in these days. But it does actually kind of go towards a little bit more of what I was talking about with the rest of this. Because politics injected into everything, it kind of, it kind of goes hand in hand with that. 
because this I want, I want, do, do, do for me plays into a, an, an entitlement mentality that I think we see more on one side of the aisle than we see on the other side of the aisle. So let's dive into that a little bit, shall we? This is an article. <clears throat> I use that term to be polite and generous. Heidi McDonald writing at comicsbeat.com. Headline, and this is, uh, this is from June 11th. Now, we reported on the story itself. We have not covered any of the reaction or fallout. Bill Willingham is coming back with more fables. He's picking up with issue 151, just picking up where he left off all those many, many moons ago. And the beginning of all of this, the kickoff to Fable's return, is going to be a crossover with Big uh, Big B, the Big Bad Wolf, and Batman in September. And then, then Fable's 151 is coming back next, I think, February. So... <sighs> So Heidi McDonald, who has a reputation, we're going to get into that here in a minute. She writes over at the Comics Beat, headline, Fables is coming back. Yay? Question mark. Now, aside from the fact that this is passive aggressive and immature, this is, this is something that I would expect on a, on a fan blog. If you're going to, if you're going to consider yourself a journalist, somebody to be taken seriously. Snark in the headline might get you clicks, but it doesn't get you credibility. As And it's one of the things that we have tried to avoid as much as possible here. I, I try to put some interesting headlines on our articles that we post, but I... I resist the notion that we need to dive into snark and vulgarities. That's another thing. I'm looking at you, Kotaku. Looking at you, io9. Vulgarities have no place in a headline because it damages the image. It doesn't make you look professional. And, and, Heidi McDonald has not looked professional for a while, but this doesn't this is this doesn't help. So she gets into the article about you know a little bit of the history of fables, one of the most beloved comics series of the aughts. Now she's trying to sound fancy with a 150 issue run, highly regarded video game, multiple awards, even its own convention. Just in time for its 20th anniversary, fables was coming back to a very different world where its author's politics and the book's not-so-subtle expression of it are being heavily scrutinized. By whom? That's my question. And why would Bill Willingham's politics be scrutinized? Do you scrutinize the politics of somebody like, say, Mags Visaggio? Do you scrutinize the politics of Eric Larson? or Dan Slott, or Nick Spencer, or Scott Snyder? Do you examine and scrutinize the politics of 
who was the one who the the GI Joe guy? Um, uh, not Larry Hama, but the other guy. Help me out, chat. Um, he seems to have turned around. He insulted everybody about the 9-11 thing. And I, I've just completely gone blank on his name. Um, oh, that's going to bug me now. Aubrey Citizen. Thank, yes, thank you, Cam. Do we examine the politics of those people? Do we scrutinize their politics? I mean, certain members of the fandom do. And maybe Bill Willingham should sit there and quote Kelly Sue DeConnick and say, if you don't like my politics, don't buy my book. How much, how much will he, that get him? So Heidi McDonald goes through here and, and talks about, you know, that we've got the press release for the new, for the new fables, Batman versus Big B that's coming in September. Fables 151 will hit, I think in, in February. And then she says, that's great, right? Well, is it? Sure, if you're a fan of fables, that's great. Right? Is this this more passive aggressive kind of backhanded? Yeah, that's great, right? Suggesting that maybe it might not be. Continuing from her article, uh, fables ran from 2002 to 2015, yielding 22 best-selling collections. So it's a book that sold that people actually bought winning 14 Eisner Awards, back when the Eisner Award actually meant something, and in general being one of the most beloved books of the era. Now, why does she put beloved in quotes? It's beloved, but not really. Usually when we put quotes around something, it's, it's, we're, we're trying to be ironic. It's one of the most beloved, quote-unquote, but not really. <laughs> sci-fi snob if you don't like my politics buy my book burn it then buy another copy to replace it well that's what they're doing to jk rowling i don't see her complaining about it sure go ahead buy another book it's called royalties i don't care if you burn it i don't care if you read it buy it do what you want with it but this whole paragraph here uh, in general, being one of the most beloved, quote-unquote, books of the era. How beloved? It even had its own convention, FablesCon, organized by Willingham in 2013 and attended by about 400 people, including a bunch of comics luminaries. It was, by all accounts, a wonderful time for all. And you can just hear the butt hanging right there. The shoe was about to drop. It's a nice setup. We've got this thing going. Fables had this great thing. But... But now, creator Willingham's politics, which he often injected not so subtly into the book, and, and she doesn't give examples here. She gives one example later. Two, maybe. Are now being scrutinized along with some of his more questionable actions along the way. Willingham has never been shy about his conservative politics. Although in the naive bipartisan paradise of 2002, liberals and conservatives working on a comic together wasn't as much of a political statement as it is now. Hold up. Heidi McDonald, are you saying that now it is a political statement for people to get along and actually work together if they disagree on politics? 
Are you that much of a partisan hack idiot? Chuck Dixon and Denny O'Neill worked on Batman for I don't know how long, and they could not be any more polar opposite in politics. Are you trying to tell me now that if we picked up a book by Chuck Dixon and Denny O'Neill, they would be making a political statement just by working together? Are you that vapid to believe that? Who says that people who disagree politically work together is a political statement? According to whom? What business is it of yours? By this logic, the H2O podcast is a political statement because Tim and I don't agree on anything having to do with politics. And yet, we're friends, we work together, we do the show together, politics doesn't ever come into it, so are we making a political statement just by being in the same damn room with each other? What an idiotic statement to make. This is personal for me because I've had people, friends, colleagues who have talked to me and said that they have been asked, why are you doing anything with him? You know, he's a conservative. This has been at my front door. People getting pressured to not do business with me because of how I vote. People being told not to be friends with me because I'm a conservative. The hell with all of them. This makes my blood boil, in case you hadn't noticed. And then Heidi McDonald doubles down on this BS. Quote, in particular, a pro-Israel storyline and an anti-abortion statement from Snow White were among the more obvious expressions in the pages of fables. In 2009, Willingham wrote an essay for the conservative site Breitbart complaining about superhero decadence, which could be a blueprint for some of the more strident comics culture wars that followed and stirred up a storm of controversy at the time. You know what? I'm really surprised that she doesn't invoke Gamergate in this because Gamergate was the, was the root of everything. I mean, she gets close by, by mentioning Breitbart here, but she might as well throw Gamergate in. I mean, why not? Yeah, Mazers, it it does hit home, and and <laughs> snob. Yes, I keep I keep Tim around to validate my existence. Absolutely, that that you're spot on, uh, and yeah, and see, and the thing about it is, you know, Tim and I have talked about this. We've talked about the fact that this, you know, and I've told him, I've told him more than once, and I've mentioned it to other people at the staff here. 
at some point in the future, when we get big enough, if our audience gets big enough, we will get a target put on us. Because we don't lean far enough to the left. Now, I don't identify with any group. I can sympathize with certain people in different groups, but we're not part of any group. We're not part of Comicsgate. We're not part of the fandom menace. But I understand some of the things that they believe. I agree with some of the things that they believe. Not everything, but it's not a monolith. There is no litmus test that says, in order to be fandom menace, you must believe X, Y, Z, 1, 2, 3, A, B, C. That doesn't work that way. If I'm not happy with The Last Jedi, that doesn't automatically make me fandom menace. It means I don't like The Last Jedi. But some people would take the fact that I don't like The Last Jedi and paint me out to be an alt-right Nazi bigot istophobe. Just because. And this is more the same. So not only is Willingham a conservative, which is strike one, but he's also pro-Israel. That's strike two. How dare he? From the article, Willingham's Wikipedia page quotes him as being rabidly pro-Israel, a quote from an interview that seems to be lost to time. Do your research, Heidi. You're a journalist. Dig for it. Find the quote. See, if you're going to, if you're going to cite something that's been quoted somewhere, you'd better have a citation for it. This is basic high school English. If you're going to do a report, whether it's a book report or if it's a research paper, or if it's something in science, and if you're going to quote somebody as a source, then there should be a footnote. You should quote that source. Who said? What interview? Where is it? At the very least, you should say, AV Club, June 2019. Even if you can't link to it because it's gone, you can still reference it and say where it came from. Cite your sources. If you're going to make this kind of a hit piece, now she does quote an interview from 2007 from the AV Club, and this goes on for a little bit about the injection of politics. And he's like, "No, I wasn't injecting politics." And he says, "I actually thought this is from the the AV Club article. I actually thought." that that would be the best example in politics today to use. Maybe my fondness for Israel helped in deciding that it was a good example to use, but no, fables is not didactic in any way, at least not intentionally. I don't expect people to read that issue, bop themselves in the head and say, oh my God, I've been so stupid about my politics and Middle Eastern affairs. I'm going to change my tune right now because Bigby would want me to. See, Willingham gets it. These are entertainment. This is... This is story stuff. We're not here to change your mind about something. We're not here to lecture you. We're not here to preach at you. The character believes something. That's what the character believes. It's not meant to hit you over the head and preach at you and try to change your mind about something. Now, if it makes you think, okay, fine. But that's not the purpose of the story. The goal of the story is to entertain to the point where people like the book and they buy the book and then they buy the next book and they buy the book after that. 
Yeah, Mazur says, you agree with one singular thing commonly associated with one of the two big ideologies and you're shoehorned immediately via assumption into that side. Clownfish TV has talked about this for a while. Neon and, and Geeky Sparkles both have made a point in a number of videos and in social media posts to say that neither one of them are conservative. Neither one of them are on the right. Geeky leans left. Neon is a left-leaning libertarian. That's what they describe themselves as. And yet, because they have taken certain positions in their opinions, they're marked as alt-right. And it goes through here a little bit more, basically basically leaning into the anti-Semitism. Uh, anti <clears throat> and then... From the article, so rather than a joyous open-armed reunion, Comics Twitter came out with a strong read-the-room DC reaction and the general realization that what could be overlooked in, 20, uh, in 2007 is not acceptable now. Not acceptable to whom, Heidi? To those 12 angry, emotionally constipated teenage blue check marks on Twitter? Who cares what they think? Honestly, who cares what Twitter thinks about anything? Because as we've seen, Twitter is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Twitter is full of a bunch of egomaniacal fanatics who flooded Twitter because Tumblr deleted the porn. That's who's on Twitter now. Now, we use Twitter. I hate it. But the only thing that we do really is put links out to stuff that we do. We might react or we might, you know say congratulations or a happy birthday or something at some point along the line, but we don't really get into the drama over on Twitter. And this that whole, that whole Batman Catwoman crap last week got me that close, and I'm still that close to deleting Twitter completely, whole, whole cloth, just dumping the whole thing. Because who cares? The lunatic fringe left is so obsessed with sex everywhere except the white house in some ways reading from the from the article in some ways it's like a comics version of buffy the vampire slayer something once lauded as progressive that must be reassessed in light of revelations about the people behind the stories why are we supposed to separate the art from the artist can't we appreciate a good story without considering who wrote it Reading on, it will be interesting to see how this plays out as the press tour for all this rolls on. So there's a warning shot. Let's see how the press handles this, shall we? <laughs> on a business level, DC bringing back one of its greatest hits of the early century, one that seemed to have the steam to run indefinitely, is impressive, but also going back to that well again and again. As re revealed in some previews at Screen Rant, it sure is pretty. Well, that's because the original team is back together. It looks like Fables because it's done by the same people who made Fables. So she says the book is pretty, but the ongoing discourse about this book and Willingham's politics is likely to be anything but pretty. Now, Heidi McDonald, is this the same Heidi McDonald 
who covered for Stephanie Cook, who was accused of embezzling from Bill Willingham? Hmm? Is this the same Heidi McDonald who's part of the Whisper Network? And that Whisper Network, now according to this new article from Bleeding Fool that just posted today, this Whisper Network is starting to feel a little heat. Because according to this article, now, I can sit there and I can say, cite your sources, and it would be very nice if this article would cite the sources. But I also understand that some journalists have to protect their sources because whistleblowers being whistleblowers, they could have some retaliation. I get it. But if you're going to use, if you're going to quote from other articles that have already been published in order to make your point, that's a different thing. Whisper Network. This is, this is an article from Bleeding Fool today. Whisper Network members starting to suffer the consequences. Penny Parker, June 21st. Penny Parker is a pseudonym. Uh, so they are starting to... Uh, see a little blowback, uh, Heidi McDonald's article getting some pushback in the comments. And we have the connection again here with Stephanie Cook. Stephanie Cook has been credibly accused by Bill Willingham. All of the documentations are a matter of public record. They're out there for people to see. Here's a copy of the incident report in the article here. Bill Willingham has brought charges against Stephanie Cook for embezzling over $10,000. It's one of the reasons why we think Stephanie Cook has run to Canada, so she doesn't get arrested. Now, a little bit later on, you know, this talks a little bit about the whole Stephanie Cook connection and and. Rich Johnson over a bleeding cool who thinks that, you know, Stephanie Cook walks on water for whatever reason and okay, but, but they are reporting now at the end of this, reading from this article, quote, I can now confirm that in quarter one of 2021, several comic book publishers hired investigators who are diving deep into media corruption that is damaging their brands both reputationally and financially, and it looks like we're already seeing results. Just last month, DC pulled review copies from a number of websites with a history of corruption, many of whom are part of the Whisper Network. And then they've got a screenshot here of Rich Johnson saying that Bleeding Cool doesn't get review copies of DC Comics titles, but I understand that some smaller sites or channels, not all, are saying they've been dropped from access this week. This was May 24th. So are some of these sites that have been favorable to certain ideologies and certain political stances, are they starting to get a little more scrutiny? From the article, there are also ongoing discussions of pulling press credentials from the Whisper Network's journalists so they don't get passes to major conventions like San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con. This is coming at the request of a number of high-level writers and artists who want to keep their distance from some of the more dangerous members of the network. And now, since Heidi's hit piece dropped that we were just talking about, there is suddenly talk of giving interview access and exclusives only to trusted, approved A-list sources and barring contact with D and F-list sites that continue to employ social terrorists, quote-unquote. I've been told that many of these investigations are targeting specific members of the network. Now, 
we don't have contacts who tell us things. So all I have to rely on is what gets posted at various different sites, and this is the information that comes in. But if Bleeding Cool has had some of their review privileges and their credentials pulled, that's a, that's a step in the right direction if you ask me. But it says here even the Hollywood Reporter has been affected by this. Graham McMillan, a longtime Alex DeCampi student, Alex DeCampi, according to reports, has been one of the top echelon people in this Whisper Network pyramid. And don't get me wrong, Whisper Networks by of in and of themselves are not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, people talk behind the scenes. There's contact with each other. I have I have regular contact with a number of different people. Hey, did you see this? Do you know anything about this? What have you heard? A Whisper Network just by definition is just a bunch of people who are talking on the side off off the record. But the purpose of the Whisper Network, that's where it gets insidious. This particular, this particular Whisper Network is meant to keep conservatives out of comics. Just like the Games Journal's Pro Whisper Network was a, a cabal of games journalists who were coordinating their coverage to decide who was going to get a favorable, favorable review and who wasn't. <clears throat> and the doors blew open on that one when we found out that people in the journalism side of gaming of the gaming industry had relationships with people in the de- on the development side. So I reviewing games developed by the person you're sleeping with without telling anybody, "Hey, I'm sleeping with this person. I'm telling you this game is good." Or, or games journalists that had a financial interest because they contributed to a crowdfunding for this particular game, and now they give it a favorable review. That's how Gamergate got started. And this is the same kind of thing. We've got this little whisper network, and it's you know, and it's just like they were saying, you know, fine comic book, be a shame if anything happened to it. SFS Snob says, I think a whisper network is by definition bad. People talking behind the scenes is just a network. Well, okay. I, 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 will, I, I stand corrected on that. I will, I will take that uh, as, a, as a correction because you know, a network is just a people that you talk with. Now, to me, when you say whisper network, it's one of these behind the scenes that maybe you don't want people knowing that you're talking to each other. But I can see how that would be. Okay. I'll 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 re I'll rework that statement. And yes, I agree with you. Whisper networks, as they're used here, inherently bad. So Graham McMillan over at uh, Hollywood Reporter, it says here some sites like Bleeding Cool are Im- irredeemable thanks to Rich Johnston's past and reputation for social terrorism. So when, so he was blacklisted long ago. But it looks like even the Hollywood Reporter has started to clean house when it comes to Whisper Network insiders. Graham McMillan, a longtime Alex DeCampi stooge and ally of McDonald, was effectively shown the door in January. So this has been kind of brewing for a little bit. And there was an article, and I believe it was Bleeding Fool that posted it here a while back, that some of these people were sitting there saying, if Alex DeCampi's involved, I don't want to have anything to do with it. There are 
whispers, rumors, chatter that some of this is coming back to bite them in the butt. That this behavior has become so toxic, and it's not just in comics. Anybody that's behaving like this, you should not be allowed to do the thing you do because we don't agree with what you think. You don't think the right thing. <clears throat> that, side, that, that kind of thing is that's toxic behavior just by its very nature if you're going to try to cancel somebody simply because they don't agree with you. I mean, that's, that's deranged to the extreme that they take this. Um, the AV Club's Caitlin Rossberg currently being investigated over some serious accusations she's been making. My insiders told me they've been looking into her ongoing abuse since quarter one, and there could be legal issues for both the AV Club and Rossberg herself if these investigations uncover what my sources have shared. So, again, I have a tough time with articles that say we've got sources telling us and then you don't cite your sources. Now, I can understand in some cases why you do it that way. And in some cases, you do it to protect your source because it's an ongoing investigation. It's an ongoing uh, set of stories. You're looking into this thing. Reporters do that a lot. But you can also be, you know, sources say and make this wild accusation that's got no basis in fact. But since you're not actually crediting sources the credibility of the accusation can start to get a little shaky. And, you know, people are so quick to dismiss Bleeding Fool as just this hack website, you know, alt-right bunch of people who pretend to be journalists. Maybe, but if they're saying that people are telling them this and they're reporting this and they're, you know, they've got a bunch of, They've got a bunch of screenshots here from, from Caitlin Rossberg making accusations against Nick Spencer for one and, and participating in the harassment of Jay Lee. We all saw that play out in real time. Jay Lee, of course, was questioned because he contributed a variant cover for Ethan Van Skyver Cyber Cyberfrog. How villainous. So, is the tide turning against some of this toxic behavior, not just in comics, but in publishing, in gaming? Yeah, I mean, we, well, maybe not gaming. I mean, we just saw what happened with Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, he contributed to a conservative candidate. Oh, he's a Christian? Oh, that's just... The, the thumbnail on this video goes back to the Music Man. No. Is it the Music? Yeah, the Music Man. Pick a little, talk a little. Cheep, cheep, cheep. That song about gossip. Gossip, 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 gossip. Gossip will destroy you. And, and I don't mean gossip will destroy the people who are the targets of the gossip. Now, it'll certainly do harm. It'll certainly do damage. But eventually, it comes around. What comes around, what goes around, comes around. You want to spread it, 
eventually it's going to splash back on you. And maybe, maybe, maybe we're getting a little of that going on now. I don't know. It may be too late because the comics industry, the Western comics industry, the American, North American comics are in such dire straits. And I couldn't find the tweet. I, I, I want to say it was Eric Larson, but I can't, I can't find it on his timeline over on Twitter. But there was somebody that said, and I think Clownfish did a, did a video on this, but there was somebody, because they were talking about the new bugaboo is piracy, comics piracy, internet piracy. Piracy is a bad thing. I don't advocate doing it. People have offered, you know, when I complain about some software that I've got, well, you know, I could get you a copy. No. I want a legal copy. I am not going to pirate that kind of thing. I just, it's not the thing to do. <coughs> just on principle. But there are a lot of people that pirate comics. There are a lot of people that pirate software. They pirate TV shows and movies and whatnot. And I know a few people that do it. I don't condone it. I say something about it when I hear they've done it. You know, that's not right to do. I don't control anybody else's behavior, however, except mine and the missus. I control her 100% 24-7. What, nothing? She's not even listening to me. Are you? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'll pay for that one. All right, so so the comics industry right now is going through a shakeup. And for a number of years, people have been saying that they're in trouble. And there have been a number of professionals who say, no, 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 comics are fine. Comics are doing great. Look at all the sales. Well, okay, yes, let's look at the sales. Manga is outselling comics by gobs and bajillions more percentage-wise. You look at uh, various, now this is anecdotal, but you look at photographs of the comics section in, in any Barnes and Noble, and you get one little itty bitty row, one space, and then you look at the manga, and the manga takes up like six, two, two or three, four or five aisles. Manga is dominating Western comics. And you can fudge and say that manga is comics. But it's not the same thing. It's not the same kind of product. And I don't care what John Jackson, uh, what John Jackson Miller says. M manga doesn't count as comics in the traditional sense when we sit there and talk about the comics industry. We're talking about the direct-to-consumer, direct-to-market, retail, floppies, monthly issues, periodicals, and graphic novels. The top 20 adult graphic novels last year, all manga. Not a single North American publisher in the top 20 adult graphic novels list. That's according to ICV2. Yeah, <laughs> Mazur says, you read them backwards, that's enough for me to say they're not the same. Exactly. It's a completely different format. They, yes, there's a story in there. Yes, they're illustrated. It's a picture book. But beyond that, there's, you know, the similarities start to diverge quite a bit after that. 
But you've got somebody now, and I want to say it was Larson. I could be wrong. It might be Mark Brooks. Mark Brooks has got me blocked, so I couldn't check it. But it's now circulating. Well, piracy is hurting the comics industry so much. Now, wait a minute. I thought I thought the comics industry was doing fine. I thought we were doing great. Sales were phenomenal. And yet, the piracy is such that artists may lose their jobs and the publishers might just go to reprinting classic stories that we may not get. We may get to a point where no original comics come from DC or Marvel or Image or IDW anymore or Dark Horse. How have we gotten from comics are doing great to everything could be pencils down tomorrow? Was it Larson? Critical Blast says it was Larson, but I can't find it. I wanted to, maybe he deleted that tweet. I don't know. I haven't found it on his timeline. And yes, yeah, RJ makes a good point. The artists and writers already got paid for these books. They told us that all the time. So how are they impacted by piracy? And and Larson does address that <clears throat> in royalties because uh, when, little inside baseball here for those who don't know, when comics are, when, when comics pass a certain threshold number, say, I think it's 40,000. When 40,000 or more copies are, are sold, then the people involved in that book, the writers, the artists, the illustrators, the colorists, the letterers, all of that, then they start to get a royalty past what their page rate was for making the book. They get paid a fee to do the work for the book. Once the book is published, then if it sells a certain number of copies, then they start to get a royalty. They get a percentage off of those sales past that point. I think 40000 is the threshold. But you also have to understand that... Um, all right, RJ found the tweet for me, so let me get that now. Let me... Bum, 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 bum. Okay, hang on a second. Let me get that here. See, because I could, I didn't find this one here. Um, okay, hold on. What what happened there? Oh, oh, I see what I did. Oh no, yeah, there there's that one. But there was one there was one that was specifically that's that that one I'd already found, RJ. One one that I had specifically seen where he was saying that the comics industry is going to possibly going to reprints. In which case they don't have to uh yeah, an image I may have I said image, it could be just DC and Marvel that that they're looking at this. Because you look at Marvel already has this kind of a thing going with IDW. And IDW is losing money left and right, hand over fist. It's it's what the half a million loss in in second quarter. We just reported on this on Saturday. They they continue to hemorrhage money. I don't think IDW as a comics publisher is going to be around very much longer. But then again, you all go back to these comics publishers, traditional publishers. 
they're not about the comics anymore. They're about the IP. They're about the intellectual property that they can exploit for licensing. And they'll be perfectly fine You, you just renting out the characters. They don't have to publish anything new. You know, we've seen this for the last four or five years, speculation on whether or not DC Comics was going to get sold. It, just recently, there's a rumor that somebody could be shopping it to, to Robert Kirkman because the speculation starts again after AT&T decides to, to spin out Warner and they merge with Discovery. Well, what does that do to DC Comics? Will Marvel Comics continue to publish comics? Because they have all of their characters. They've got some five, six hundred characters that they can put into the TVs and the movies. Nobody cares about the comics. And we've talked about this before. Millions of people will watch the movies. 30, 40, 50,000 people read the comic books. It's not enough to justify because it's not, there's no profit there. It's a loss leader. Now, we've talked about this before, too. The, the thing that they should have been doing all this time is put comic books in the, th- in the movie theater lobbies. Hey, you saw this movie. Now read this book. <coughs> but they don't think that way. So, yeah, and Sci-Fi Snipe, you're right. Uh, uh, Ethan, Ethan was the one I think mentioned the, the 40,000 was the threshold. And, and yeah, it's DC and Marvel. I don't know how uh, image image pays a different way because all of that stuff's creator owned. I don't know how IDW and Dark Horse do it. If there were people on the inside of Marvel and DC and IDW and image and Dark Horse who would like to tell us things, I'll listen. Just saying. All right. So either the comics industry is doing just fine or they're about to completely collapse. It can't be both. Which is it? And if it's about to collapse, is it because of piracy, or is it because you're making crap books that nobody wants to buy? Because you're trying to appeal to a market that doesn't exist by trying to play to the sensibilities of people who won't buy your product anyway. Go figure. <laughs> okay, one last little real, real quick thing. We have first images for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. We've got the family there in costume. People are very, uh, very excited about uh, Mary uh, being the same actress, both as Mary Batson and Mary Marvel, because apparently in the last one there was an older actress that played Mary Marvel. Now uh, it looks like um, it looks like that we're going to have the same char- uh, the same uh, actress play both parts, both versions of the Mary character. And then there's all of this. We've got the first look of the different costumes. Oh, wait, I'm going to do that. First look at the different costumes for The Flash. Agip Art is the handle for the Twitter account where there's a lot of these things going on. And this first look, let's start with um, 
these behind-the-scenes images. We've got Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman showing up on the side of a bus in Central City. And it does appear that, you know, people are sitting there going, oh, that means, that means Snyderverse. And then this was our very first glimpse at Sasha Calais as Supergirl. And of course, there's no cape here because I guess they're going to put it in with CGI and everybody's making comparisons to the Spider-Man costume, which is kind of ridiculous. But we have that. And then we started to get other images. Uh, this here outside a courthouse. We see um, off in the background there, we see Barry and Iris in that could be something related to his father's trial. And then we get, here's another, here's another Gal Gadot on the bus. People are starting to say, oh, well, maybe this is a, <laughs> this, this is a funny headline. Wonder Woman nixes Aquaman dating rumor. Okay, now the reason that this is funny in an ironic sense is because in Flashpoint... Wonder Woman and Aquaman were at war with each other. So that's that that's that's funny. Um, okay, so we're coming through here, and then we get the mother load of images. We start, you know, we've got another close we got a closer shot here of uh Barry and Iris, probably related to the the trial for his father. We've got uh, Ezra Miller there on set. And somebody points out here on his hand, and this is a this is a close-up. There's a he's got the ring. He's got the flash ring, the costume ring. So the flash costume is compacted up inside that ring. <clears throat> we got our first look here at Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. Still sporting the same hairstyle from the 80s. And, of course, we know that that's not what he looks like in real life. Then we have the Supergirl image. This is a close-up. She's in the flying rig. <clears throat> oh, Critical Blast said he deleted it. Okay, so here's, here's the quote. This is from Eric Larson regarding the, the DC Marvel stuff. He says, These companies are floundering and failing. The threat from upstairs is that they'll go to all reprints and stop producing new material. But I thought comics were doing just fine. Can't have it both ways. All right, so here's the costume that everybody is is blowing a gasket over here over the, over the weekend. This is Sasha Kali as Supergirl, and we knew we were getting an alternate Supergirl. And early word was that it was Kara Zor-El. This is not Kara Zor-El. This just by looking at her physicality, the way she looks, the haircut, the costume, the fact that we are playing with a multiverse, we're going to get an alternate Superman, we're going to get a different, we got two, two Batmans, we get a different Supergirl. This is not Kara Zor-El. My best guess, and that of others, including the person what created the character, is that this is Lara Lane Kent, who is the Supergirl featured in the Injustice 
comic book based on the video game. In Justice Year 3, I believe, is when she was wearing this costume. Now, if you look at this costume, you see the red on the shoulders extended out from the S. You got the red cape, which, again, we're going to be looking at that as a CG element. But outside of the, of the boots, there's no red on the bottom of the, of, the, uh, of the outfit. But besides that, it's almost a perfect match for Lara Lane Kent, who is the, the daughter of Superman and Lois in the Injustice stuff. Tom Taylor, who was a writer on that, he says, In 2014, Bruno Redondo and I created a new Supergirl, Lara Lane Kent. And, well, Sasha Kali as Supergirl is uncanny. He puts them side by side. Haircut and everything. This has got to be Laura Lane Kent, not Kara Zor-El. And since we're in the multiverse, that makes an absolute perfect amount of sense. So for everybody who have been blowing up, oh, that's not Kara, she's not blonde. Well, we never expected her to be because we were getting a multiverse. It's an alternate universe Supergirl. But people need to calm down. Now, Mazur says that would have been a perfect moment to segue into a short plug for the multiverse on Saturdays. Ladies and gentlemen, every Saturday morning, you can find all of the headlines for the week in science fiction, fantasy, and horror on Good Morning Multiverse, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. How's that? <coughs> so, so just everybody needs to everybody needs to chill a little bit. Everybody wants to get so bent out of shape over this stuff. We know this is not going to be Kara. We know this is not going to be a blonde Supergirl. Okay, fine, but it is an existing comic book Supergirl that is canon. So. Wait and see. At, le- at the very least, think of it this way. For, for all of the purists who are mad that death is going to be played by a black actress, stop to consider that at least this Supergirl looks like a Supergirl from the comics. They could have done something completely different. Just something to consider. And I'm not saying it's one way or the other because I don't know. I'm not on set, and I don't have anybody giving me information from the inside. If anybody's on set that wants to give me information on the inside, I'll listen. Okay. That's going to do it for us today. Um, Tomorrow, yes, tomorrow we have a brand new Salacious Crumbs. Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central with the latest Star Wars news. Mrs. Boss is diligently working on that list. Sci-Fi Snob says, I will not wait. I want to come to angry conclusions with little to no information. Well, you're on the internet, so you're in the right place. All right, now, programming note, Wednesday, this show will be two hours later. We'll go at 2 p.m. Central instead of noon, 
And the reason for that is because we're going to accommodate the schedule for our guest. Coming up on Wednesday here, live from the bunker, E. Gary Gygax Jr. will join us to talk about the revival of TSR games. And we're doing it live so that people can get into the chat and ask questions. So if you're a big Dungeons & Dragons fan, here's where you want to be Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 Central. It's going to be a special edition of Live from the Bunker. We will not go at our regular time. We will be two hours later to talk to Gygax Jr., about TSR and what's going on there because they just relaunched their website last week. We had an article about it on Tuesday, on Saturday. Very much looking forward to that. Very excited about that. So everybody be here and bring your friends. It's bring a friend to work day. It's bring a friend to show day. Tell everybody that you know. And we're going to be talking TSR games on Wednesday. Tomorrow, I don't have any idea what our topic is going to be. Tonight on H2O, we are going to be talking about toys and how so many shows and movies and TV shows and series and whatnot tie into toys and depend on toys. And it started thinking from the Funko Pop thing that Mrs. Boss did last week, but you look at how comic book shops are so dependent on the sales of toys, and that got me thinking, you know, we've got Masters of the Universe, the new He-Man show coming in, and you stop and consider about how many of the different shows from the 80s, the cartoons, were all big animated toy commercials. And so tonight we're going to be going pop, episode 272 of the H2O podcast tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. So uh, be there for that. And that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here and listening to me rant and rage. I mean, <clears throat> maybe it'll be good for ratings, right? I'm angry. That's how it's supposed to work, right? All right, that's going to do it. I, I say that a lot. <clears throat> All right, yes, we will post on social media. We'll be talking uh, to, uh, to Ernie on, on Wednesday. So yes, y'all can, y'all can retweet to your heart's content. We'll be getting that out a little bit later on today. Thanks for being here, everyone. Have a good Monday. And remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 